This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 41. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Tom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the end of the world. That's right, the not the actual end of the world, but the uh, second episode of the ninth Doctor's season. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father How's Corey. It going? Good, good. So, uh, yes, we have the second episode of the Ninth Doctor, and here is the sound of the trailer. Welcome to the end of the world. Earth death is scheduled for 1539. Who the hell are you? Oh, I'm the Doctor. This is Rose Tyler. She's my plus one. Is that all right? That's not supposed to happen. Representing the forest of Cheem, we have trees, the mocks of Balhoon, the face of Bo, last human, the lady, Cassandra O'Brien. Oh, now, don't stare. Look in Heat levels rising. Heat levels rising. Yes, the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) So just to quickly recap what happens in the episode, the ninth doctor takes Rose Tyler to the year 5 billion to see the sun expand and destroy the earth. uh, Technically, he takes her to the year 5.5 slash Apple slash 26. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Which I I rounded to 5 billion, but uh, we'll we'll go with that. Um, uh, They're on the observation deck space station platform one which is holding an event with the richest beings of the time observing the Earth's destruction. But uh, mysterious metal spiders gifted by the adherents of the repeated meme, one of the best names ever, to the other guests, and they're secretly infiltrating and sabotaging the station. So, um, yeah, so this episode takes up right from where the first episode left off. Rose had uh, uh, joined the Doctor in the TARDIS, and and we literally pick up the, the next line. They're deciding, where should we go? Um, and they they get into sort of a one upper contest. Uh, uh, you know, we can go forward in time. Let's go fifty years. Let's go a hundred years. Let's go a five billion. Um, so you know, a little we we're getting a little sense of the the doctor uh, capriciousness here. Yeah, he's also clearly desiring to impress uh, Rose Tyler. Yes, yeah. well, um, I like that he says, "Oh, the other the twenty second century was so boring." <laughs> you know, so they don't even get out of the TARDIS. It's like it's just not even worth worrying about. Let's just keep going. <laughs> right, like they do. They travel to the twenty second century, but he doesn't even like stop. He doesn't even bother to get out. Um, yeah, although if you really want to like score points at you know and and triumph over Doctor Who nerds, um, you can use that. You can say what was Rose Tyler's first trip through time, and they're going to say to the year five billion is nope to the twenty second century. But they didn't get out of the TARDIS. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
that's that's like saying I've I've been to uh you know I've I've been to uh Baltimore but I never got out of the BWI airport you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or out of the plane. Yeah. The doctor has a good line in this whole scene. He says um, to, to Rosie uh, in her concern about the uh, uh, about traveling to so far in the future and when everyone's dead. You, you, he says, uh, you lot spend all your time thinking about dying like you're going to get killed by eggs or beef or global warming. But you never take the time to imagine the impossible. Maybe you survive. Like she's, she's, she's well, there's going to be people in 5 billion years. Um, and, and the doctor's sort of taking this long view of like, well, maybe you're also worried about the end of the world. Maybe you should be looking forward to, you know, to actually surviving to the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's kind of an ambiguity there about, um, as individuals or as a species though. Um, I, I'm more interested. I mean, I, 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 great if the human race survives for a huge long amount of time, but that doesn't mean I'm going to. So <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I like his list of things that uh, could potentially kill us that he kind of mocks a bit, uh, eggs, beef, and global warming. Uh, <laughs> to, I think the to, dangers, the dangers of all three of which have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is 2005 around the time of uh, Mad Cow and all that? I wonder if that's a reference to Mad that Cow. That was after Mad Cow, I want to say, but not by much. Yeah. Wasn't Mad yeah. Cow kind of turn of the century? It might 2000s? have been. Yeah. So uh, they they arrive on uh, Platform One and they hear an automated announcement. Guests are reminded that Platform One forbids the use of weapons, teleportation, and religion, uh, which is... Uh, and- and at the end of the world, or at least, you know, the destruction of the earth, I mean, it's kind of a kind of a bizarre line, but I could kind of say, yeah, we don't really want any doomsday cults causing trouble at this moment. <laughs> right. yeah. if you're about to watch the sun go nova. But it, interestingly enough, you know, teleportation also, uh, given that they just arrived in a uh, teleporting phone box. Um, yes. Uh, another interesting aspect is, is we have more blue skinned aliens. Uh, this seems to be a, this like, is the first time. Yeah, right. And uh, I say more in the sense of uh, having the, the ones we've seen in the most recent uh, season of the 12th Doctor. Uh, it, this seems to be a recurring uh, theme throughout uh, the, the new Doctor Who is uh, aliens in blue, uh, maybe a, a blue man group fan among the makeup artists or something. I don't know. Uh, or among the writers. Although one thing to notice about the blue people we see in this episode is they're they're not just pure blue. They've got some additional facial markings or modelings of different kinds. Yeah, especially the the steward of the platform. And uh, to to kind of point out that they're also kind of slaves or so, of some sort, or at least servants of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Servants who are uh, of a, a class disadvantage where, where, you know, one says that she's not allowed to uh, speak unless we're given explicit permission to speak. Right. Uh, which is interesting. I, I, yeah. I think that's more just because uh, they're, they're the equivalent of the downstairs staff <laughs> for the super rich of this era. And so you have the steward of the platform. He's basically the butler of the household. <clears throat> and then we meet the engineer who's basically like a scullery maid. Okay. And, and so this wouldn't have been that unusual for not, I, for for household domestic servants in say Victorian times, they weren't supposed to speak to the uh, to the the household up upstairs people or the upstairs people's guests 
unless they were supposed to maintain silence, unless they were directly spoken to. Well, look at, look at Downton Abbey. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the we learn a lot about you know what's going on here. Uh, so basically, the Earth has been um, the the sun has been expanding for for you know if five, in five billion years the sun will go supernova. That's pretty much most scientists expect. Um, and the sun has been expanding all this time, and it should have destroyed the Earth by now. Uh, but that it's been uh, under the control of the National Trust, uh, which is sort of like the <laughs> National Park System. Um, that it not only has it been preserving the earth uh from the gravity of the sun but it put it back uh the the you know because of continental drift and uh tectonic forces the earth would have you know its shape would have changed the continents would be all over the place we would yeah. you know slam it each other, and they've put it back the way it was um and and, and, and oh. people have all left the planet that's the other important thing is is that uh humanity has sort of moved out uh and earth has been kind of left as a as a as a national park by the way i was just thinking about i i, I hadn't connected it to this episode but last night i was actually thinking about a group that uh, existed back in the 1970s called the Stop Continental Drift Society. Um, that was it was like a joke society that was run by a bunch of geologists. And I remember seeing a picture of them in a science publication where you have a group of geologists and they're like putting a giant screw into the earth <laughs> to like keep the keep everything from drifting and so <laughs> that's great well yeah, someday uh, apparently we ha we gain that ability to uh, to yeah. to keep it from drifting well, I'm sure if if you if you've got gravity satellites that can hold back a supernova sun i think you can keep no. the uh, earth or yeah keep the uh, earth from drifting Right. And but apparently money has run out. I, I, it's like it's a kind yeah. of funny a bit of a commentary is, is like it's they, the, the, the humanity has become essentially all powerful in a sense of holding back supernovas and, and planets. But we still have budget problems in five billion years. Well, uh, they've all left the earth. Who are you going to tax? This this just <laughs> this just underscores the need for pro population growth policies. That's right. <laughs> An inheritance tax. Uh, so yeah, we, we have uh, the, the, the the steward confronts the doctor, uh, like, what are you doing here and who are you? And the doctor shows off his psychic paper, which is the first, first use, time. Uh, first yep. use of it in the new uh, series. Is that the first ever? Yes, first ever. It did not exist in the old series. No. Okay, so there, there are a lot of a lot of plot points in the old series that the psychic paper could have just washed, could have just written right over on <laughs> and 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 really if you think about it there's a good reason why the psychic paper is kind of a nice companion to the sonic screwdriver um the sonic screwdriver gets you around physical things that could stop the plot or slow it down and the psychic paper gets you around social situations um that could slow down the plot because realistically when the doctor walks into these dangerous situations there's always been a question why should anybody trust him and the psychic paper or why should he be allowed access to this area and the psychic paper answers that question in a way that um 
that lets the plot move ahead more quickly, which is all the more important now in New Who, now that each episode is 45 minutes long, instead of a serial of it of typically four to six 25-minute parts. Yep. With the compression of the show, there's more need to move the plot along quickly, as, as well as the faster pace of television today. And the return of the, psych, of the sonic screwdriver and the psychic paper now, I think were both wise choices for that reason. And the doctor explains, it shows them whatever I want them to see. Uh, that's how he, how he phrases it then. Uh, I think that it, it, it expands. Later changes. Yeah. It sort of, ex it shows them whatever I, uh, whatever helps me. Uh, whatever uh, they need to see. Whatever yep. they, yes, exactly. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, then we have the introduction of the various guests. Uh, again, like I said, the adherence of the repeated meme, uh, which which is funny given. I, was, Could you say that again, Dom? The adherence of the repeated meme. Uh, Could you say that again, Dom? <laughs> the adhere. Wait a minute. We become stuck in a chronic hysteresis. <laughs> well, I thought it just because I mumble when I talk. Um, but uh, the, so. I was trying to think, you know, were memes big then uh, as an internet phenomenon? Uh, they, they, I think they still were there, uh, not as much as social media has made them uh, ubiquitous. Yeah, the term was originally coined by Richard Dawkins in his book, The Selfish Gene, um, as a mental... Um, equivalent of a gene. A gene is a is a physical thing that repeats itself, um, and a meme is an intellectual thing that is that is in essence repeats itself because it's so interesting. People repeat it, and um, and so the concept has been around since I don't know when he. I think he wrote the book in the seventies, maybe. Um, so the concept has been around for that long, and in more recent years, it's become attached to like those internet jokes that are indeed memes because they're <clears throat> interesting yep. enough and funny enough that people repost them, and so they repeat. So what do you think, that, like, given the, well, we know that these are, they're actually just under the control of Cassandra, uh, uh, you know, we find out later on. Um, what do you think the, the meaning of it is? Is it of, um, it, what do you think the meaning is here? Or is it just sort of a throwaway line? What do you think? Um, I, th I think they're shills. We need a, um, you know, this is a, it has aspects of a detective story to it. You don't want to reveal the villain in the first act, when it's, when it, which is when Cassandra shows up. And so you need a surrogate villain that you can see surreptitiously doing stuff um, that then uh, can get exposed to be working for someone else. And being a meme, they're just repeating stuff that they've been given by someone else. So that's kind of a nice conceptual disguise for them. And then the, the line, the adherence of the repeated meme is itself just a joke, but it's okay. a good one. Yes. Um, and then other guests include the, the tree people, uh, at which point I, I yelled out, I am Groot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, the tree people are also originally native to earth. We're told yes. they descend from a tropical forest. Right, mm -hmm. they are uh, the the ev the evolution into sentient beings of trees. Uh, uh, I, I actually the other thing I was thinking was their uh, Fangorns uh, people, uh, the Ents from the Lord of the yep. Rings. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, then we have our first uh, sighting of both Lady Cassandra and the face of Bo, which the face of Bo doesn't get much 
screen time in this. Right. Uh, I almost said FaceTime in this uh, episode. <laughs> Ooh. But but later turns out to be quite pivotal in in Doctor Who in 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 general, uh, especially in since ways. yeah. Once we once especially once we find out who the face of Bo actually is, um, which is a lot of fun. Um, but they are the sponsors of the event. And that sort of makes sense, given what we know. So Lady Cassandra is billed as the last human. Uh, she's had so much plastic surgery done that she's now just skin with a with eyes and a mouth. Yeah, stretched out in a frame. Although if you look down at the base of the frame, you can see her brain in a jar. Yes, she's essentially become the uh, the brain in a jar uh, human being concept that you see uh, in so, uh, sci- uh, science fiction a lot. Um, and the and face of Bo. And- and she has an interesting line about her parentage. She says her father was a Texan and her mother was from Antarctica or something like that. Oh, I, I can't remember. I, I didn't record that, but yes, yeah. something along those lines. So um, they were like the last two native humans of Earth. And then they're the last people buried there. And then they gave birth to her and she's a, a human trampoline. Right. Yeah. A, a bit of a, I mean, I found it it's sort of a, I mean, obvious, a little obvious. Um, Arctic common, Desert. Well, the Arctic Desert. Is Arctic where Desert. Arctic okay. Desert. Yeah. And she lived in the Los Angeles uh, crevasse as crevasse. a little boy, she said, which is interesting that she said, I lived there as a little boy. Very curious. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's a, it's an interesting um commentary on plastic surgery and the the wealthy i think uh, i think is what we're supposed to get from that um yes. also interesting that that they basically tell us that the the face of bo is uh, a human being despite it being this gigantic face in a jar um and and of course doctor who fans know that it turns out that the face of bo is captain jack harkness who we will encounter uh later uh, this in this season, in this season uh, who is in an immortal human being um, who lives Becomes forever. Becomes an immortal human being later this season. Right, right. Um, and then we have some fun little bits of, uh, you know, what what would happen if people in the in the far, far, far distant future encountered a present day technology? Uh, they'd get it wrong. Uh, so yeah, we they have think, a, they think a huge jukebox is an iPad is an iPad iPod. Yes. And yep. then we we get the first of our musical interludes, uh Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Yes, which was which actually I know, think works in context in the yes. scene. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's two songs they choose and this one I liked. The second one I would have preferred that they had REM. It's the end of yeah. the world as we know it. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I we could talk about it as we get to it, but uh, you know, I think it was a, an attempt to appeal. Uh, so later on, we get the Britney Spears "Toxic," um, <sighs> which was contemporary, I guess, to the to the show. And I think it was an Pretty appeal. Close. Close. Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be an appeal to uh, the the audience, to a young uh, contemporary audience. Also, Billy Piper, who's playing Rose Tyler, was known as a as a Brit pop star. Yep. Oh. So that's where she came from. Was her her showbiz experience prior to this was primarily being known as doing British pop music. Interesting. I've I've never heard anything by her. I, I never heard that. Um, so we have so we have you know a musical interlude. Um, uh, Rose, it's it, Rose has an interesting reaction, which I I, I like. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, last episode she was all excited to go traveling with the Doctor, but now here she's overwhelmed by the aliens and so very alien and the and the end of the world and and then realizes that I don't even know who the Doctor is. Who is this guy? Right. And what is she, this guy? 
she suddenly realizes she's very far away from home in space and time in this bizarre environment mm. and doesn't know if she can trust the man who brought her here. Right. And has no way of getting back on her own. And this is a great reaction. I mean, it, it's understandable. Companions need a um, sense of adventure or they're not going to make good companions. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to get overwhelmed. And this is a very human reaction. I think it was very good writing on Russell T. Davies' part to have Rose have this kind of freak out on her first exactly. adventure. And uh, the doctor does uh, something to kind of help her. I mean, in in some ways, he kind of acts defensively um you could kind of tell he's been um alone for a while because whenever the doctor's alone for a while he 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 doesn't work well with others at some yeah. point he, he gets this defensive but here he does there, something very nice for her which is he he fiddles with her cell phone so that she can call her mother and be in touch avoiding with the service contract on it <laughs> apparently <laughs> or getting very large bills <laughs> yeah so yeah he makes it uh they end up calling it the super phone because it can call across time and and i i really like that that it, it is on an emotional level it established it lets her call back to her mom and so she still has a connection to her own time and her own world and it gives her that emotional reassurance that's really nice also in this scene uh something comes up which um, took years and years to come up on the original series, um, which is how can I understand all these people? Why am I hearing right. them in English if it's five billion years later? And the doctor explains it's a gift of the TARDIS. Previously in Classic Who, when this finally came up, um, the, the uh, in John Pertwee's time, the answer was it's a gift of Time Lords, and I'm sharing it with you. Here they refine it to it's a gift of the TARDIS specifically, mm -hmm. and so as long as you're traveling in the TARDIS, you're going to have this ability. Um, also, there's a there's a neat thing um, when Rose gets. Uh, uh, gets overwhelmed by the alienness of all this. The doctor makes a, makes a comment about, oh, well, I'm not taking you to the deep south then. And Rose mm -hmm. pretty quickly comes back with, a, uh, he, I, I forget the exact setup for it, but he says something else. And she says, oh, no, you're too busy thinking up cheap shots about the deep south. <laughs> and I love yeah. I love that. Now, I'm, not <laughs> I'm from the Mid-South, but I just loved him that she gave him clap back on that. Yeah, yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she became defensive of uh, Americans in that case, which is which is very uh, it's, it was an interesting uh, moment. Um, in fact, several things about the early episodes of the Ninth Doctor, very th there seemed to be a, a very conscious appeal toward an American audience um certain certain beats in the in those episodes and this is one of them also i, think, it, I, I do wonder if they realized uh that if this series was going to succeed it couldn't be just a british audience yeah you know? i think they 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 consciously wanted a global audience for this uh i mean that had having a global audience had really been important in the classic who era anyway and with the mm -hmm. fragmentation of television and media that had occurred since, you know, you could see it was going to be important in this era, too. Something else that um, has been uh, commented on, and I think with a good deal of validity, uh, is they're trying, one of the ways they're trying to make this new series successful is they're 
you can see a kind of similarity between different doctors in different eras. Um, and Christopher Eccleston's doctor is in some ways patterned off of Tom Baker's doctor. He has a certain kind of alien, not entirely relatable vibe. He's not as funny or as wacky as Tom Baker, right. but um, but he's he he does have some comedy elements. He's he's more of an action man than Tom Baker. But it, it, Tom Baker was the most successful doctor of the right. classic period in terms of l longevity and fan popularity. And so it would be natural to kind of model the first doctor of the new era after the what was perceived as the most successful doctor of the original right. era. And so there seems to be a little element of Tom Baker in Christopher Eccleston's portrayal of the doctor. You can then see how uh, David Tennant's doctor is like a callback. He's younger. He's boyish. He's he's a little more innocent. He's like Peter Davison's fifth yep. doctor. And then Matt Smith's doctor is like the second coming of Patrick Troughton. The second yeah, exactly. Um, and that leaves Peter Capaldi being he's kind of like John Pertwee's third doctor, but he's even more, especially in his early years, like Colin Baker's sixth doctor. And just like when the sixth doctor came along, when the twelfth doctor came along, we hit ratings trouble because of doctor abrasiveness. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting analysis. I, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but uh, especially since I'm not as familiar with the the classic who. Um, but it it really then opens up a question that's not really related to the, to this episode no, of true. what we've got what we've got to look forward to who the thirteenth doctor will be patterned on. So uh, that will. Right. Put a, put a pin in that one, and we'll come back uh, when when it's time to discuss that. Um, so the doctor uh, has this this budding relationship with uh, Tree Lady uh, Jab Jabe, as it was pronounced. Jabe, uh, I think. Jabe. I think just Jabe. Yeah, um, and um, she says about you know she knows where she figures out where what he that he's a Time Lord or that he's from Gallifrey yeah. and confronts him on it, and he begins to cry. And it's a very interesting moment, um, an, emo an emotional doctor. Um, the first hints at the events of the Time War uh, right. that were eventually going to come out. We don't know anything about the Time War at this point. And if you, uh, if you think about it from the perspective of a new fan who's just coming into Doctor Who, may not have even been born when the original series was on the air, this is the first we're hearing about who the doctor is and where he's from. We haven't, we didn't hear the word, the phrase time Lord in the original, in the first episode. I don't think, I believe this is the first yeah, time we, we hear it. Yeah. Did? Okay. Uh, the, uh, the nesting consciousness, that's like the one okay. phrase you can actually hear, understand him say is time Lord. Okay. Um, so now we get an explanation of it. And and we're also learning there's some great tragedy that's happened between the two series. And this is the first that old fans are hearing about it, while it simultaneously serves as an introduction for the new fans. And I was one of those new fans who was trying to figure out, you know, what that meant and and and, and some such. That's interesting. Um, th then we get uh, this... Uh, Musical interlude with uh, Britney Spears, Toxic, uh, lots of action running around. Um, and I noticed that 
in this in this episode, as opposed to the the, the last episode, the 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 eponymously uh, named Rose. In this episode, Rose is just along for the ride. Essentially, she she so gets Rose is the eponymous flower. <laughs> joke there yes for those a, who know yes um but she gets locked in a room uh she's in danger must be damsel in distress must be rescued doesn't she doesn't have a lot of agency in this episode uh, just you know it's a as opposed to the last one uh yeah i don't say that it's either positive or negative i just it's it's different um, and I think mm-hmm. what we're seeing is is that Rose is not always going to be the headstrong um, uh, Wesley Crusher, the who who saves the Doctor uh, <laughs> at the at the end. Uh, so there's that. Um, there she's is, not a Mary Sue. She's not exactly. That's right. Uh, there's one scene that really bugged me, um, and it's the ridiculous spinning death blades. Um, yeah. that we have <laughs> oh, yes. it's right out of Galaxy Quest where you have Galaxy Quest did the definitive debunking of giant spinning blades yeah <laughs> yes. that in all science fiction okay, what, what possible purpose could it serve to have a catwalk going through the spinning blades just lower the catwalk raise the blades yeah and, and he does this weird thing where he's standing there staring at Jabe being immolated instead of running forward like why are you waiting uh, it was a very odd scene and i don't i just I, there was nothing about the writing of it or the, the 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 performing of it that explained why it happened the way it did except that the doc, that we needed this emotional moment where jabe dies it, you know it just it was very strange um I, I did like the scene where the sun doors were being raised and lowered in the room where Rose was. Yeah. And we got the all the solar radiation pouring in there and she's trying to avoid it. Now, realistically, unless that's some kind of freaky, weird, polarized glass, she would just be dead. Right. Um, yeah. Because the radiation is not going to stay in that tight confinement. It's not coherent solar radiation. But it, um, but it sure looked impressive to see it, it cut wow. out the wall, you know, as the yeah. wall's darkening like a laser beam is cutting it, you know? Well, exactly like a laser. It's, it's behaving in a coherent manner, which is what a laser is, is coherent light. Um, and, but it was very effective dramatically. Yes, that that was actually that was good. I, I was I was willing to posit a force field of some sort lowering or something, but why not? Um, so uh, the doctor seems so at the end. Uh, Cassandra's revealed as the uh, the the person behind all of the 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 the, the, the deaths, and uh, she's the villain. Um, and the repeated meme. By the way, notice the physicalization of the repeated meme because they keep handing out the mechanical spiders. Yes. And so it's a repeated action they're doing. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, they turn the, the, uh, the adherents of the repeated meme are robots controlled by Cassandra. And, um, so when she's confronted, they, uh, they, she stops being, um, she beams away, teleports away, uh, with her, um, servants, but then the doctor brings her back without them, which means that she's not being moisturized and yeah. ends up uh, becoming uh, dried out and crackles and dies uh, very gruesomely. And the doctor's yeah. very callous toward Cassandra's death. I mean, he, he basically says, everything has its time, everything dies, and that's it. <laughs> I'd be like, wow, that's that's extremely callous toward essentially the last human being uh, of this time. 
Yeah, although, and it also doesn't make sense because that skin is just her manifestation. It's just her face. Um, her herself is in that brain in the jar at the bottom of the face frame. Yep. Right. And so she can she can regrow a new face, which and of course spoiler, we'll have a new one by does. plastic surgery, which she then does <laughs> yes. in another episode. Uh, and it takes over Rose's body uh, later, even though uh, in this one she seems to disdain uh, Rose. Uh, Rose's it's appearance. Too curvy. Oh, oh yeah. she does. She she disdains Rose then too. It's oh no, I've become a chav. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um. So, uh, you know, there's this very philosophical moment at the end of the episode uh, where we you kind of talk about the impermanence of everything. And I, I, I like the episode, but it seems like a very downer for a second episode. Um, you know, we, we came off of the premiere episode, the pilot uh, rose and, and we're, we're rushing off into uh, the future. And then we get this sort of a downer moment uh at the end of this it, it it's a it's a different tone and i have to admit um as we're talking about this when i first started watching this i i was watching on itunes several years after it originally aired i think like three or four years after uh and i did i got through i think four episodes of the first season and stopped i i just mm-hmm. it had lost me um uh, and and I didn't come back to it for quite some time, a couple of years, actually. And then I got hooked and and persevered and made it through to the second season where I really, you know, David Tennant's doctor really grabbed me and we and were off to the races. But, you know, it's it was something like this episode was was good, but sort of a downer. And then mm-hmm. um a couple episodes we have the Slovene, which uh, were awful. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> Not looking forward to that. <laughs> Folks, you want to listen to that episode of the, the Secrets of Doctor because it, it's always good to hear us when we rant about stuff. Uh, <laughs> we're going to roast that. Yes, that, that'll be a good one. Um, but I, I just get it. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting choice of this as the second episode and to kind of have a tone uh, like that. One of the so so I I think, you know, from a writing point of view, Doctor Who has always had, um, you know, a kind of bittersweet element to it and a scary, dramatic element to it. And we see that in this episode. Um, it's also had a kind of elegiac element to it. And I think that's part of what's on display here. We're watching the end of planet Earth um, with the sun expanding. And so it's just all, by the premise of the thing. Um, we're we're going to this dramatic point in history um, that's going to end up with we know the sun is going to expand and consume the earth and it's going to have this kind of sad elegiac ending to it. But what we're being rewarded by on the journey there is not just the plot, uh, which I think is kind of secondary in this episode, but all of the world building with the the we get to be dazzled by the trees and the face of Bo and the repeated meme and Lady Cassandra. And we have all of this brain candy 
and eye candy to look at. And part of one of the things I think this episode is doing is it's proving to the audience this is not the schlock special effects of the original Doctor Who. We can do good special effects now. And so we're going to do a special effects bonanza for you in this episode and show you how bright and colorful and interesting it can be. We're also going to take you to a fantastic place we've never taken you before. And we're going to set the tone. We're kind of setting the boundaries of where we can go tonally and warn you about what tones we may use in the future early on. So when we, we're kind of broadening our emotional palette. So when we go back to a space that's as sad as this in the future, which we will need to do, um, you won't be able to say, oh, well, this is out of keeping with the tone the series has, has right. established. So we're kind of getting that out of the way early on to let us play with more emotional colors. Well, and, it, and, and they, they kept kind of that, you know, with, with the introduction of the time war in this, that's always, that always kind of stays underlying yeah. the series. You know, there's always that even, you know, even some of the more, um, and that actually it works out well. I was just thinking of, you know, the episode with the, um, the, uh, the child with the face mask, uh, the, the gas mask. The empty child. Yeah. Empty, empty child. child, you know, at the end of that, that two-parter where no one dies, the absolute joy of the doctor, where yeah. no one died in that episode is so much more amped up because of that underlying tone of the war and the depressed yeah. depression because of it. I, I was reading uh, my longtime favorite ever since I was a kid comic book superhero team is the Legion of Superheroes. Um, they're young superheroes set in the 31st century. And a number of years ago, they did a reboot. And in the reboot, every story for like almost the first year was a downer and things were getting worse and worse and worse for the Legion. And then in the 12th issue, victory. They turned it all around. It all made sense as part of a larger plot and they triumphed. And it was just such a huge, mm -hmm. joyous event after after that long slog. And they're doing something like that here in order to have, and I think it's an important lesson from a writing point, if you want the highs to be high, they need to have low lows for emotional right. contrast. That's interesting. Yes. And it was the empty child that really grabbed me back again when I came back. I think that was the episode that uh, the end of the second episode that I, I really felt like, OK, this is something I want to invest in. Um, it, it, it it makes logical sense to put this episode here in the tone that it gives. Uh, it was a I will just say it, it was a um, a dangerous choice. Um, mm -hmm. when you're trying to acquire an audience, but, uh, it, you know, it turns out to, to have been okay. Um, but it was very bold, uh, to, to do that. So anything left to say about the end of the world, um, eschatologically speaking? <laughs> eschatologically, this isn't our universe. So it's gonna, the end of the world will be a little different in our universe. That's yeah. right. So, uh, I think, I think that's, that's pretty much, the. As much needs to be said for this. Uh, what did uh, what did you think of the end of the world? Uh, let us know. Uh, visit us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or uh, come to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, which is very active. We have some uh, a lot uh, some some listeners who uh, are post there regularly, and we we get to interact with them, and we love that interaction. So uh, leave us some feedback. Send us an email to Doctor Who at sqpn.com, and if. Ooh, we should you, tell people what we're going to do next time. 
Yes. I, oh, actually, I, I, I will. Um, okay. I just after I, I say this, yeah. but, um, I just want to encourage <laughs> folks that um, if you want to record like a question or some feedback, um, you, even using the uh, audio recording on your phone, uh, s- send it to us. So maybe we'll collect them and we'll do a whole episode of of answering your feedback or questions. That would awesome. be fun. Um, I'm springing this on the guys uh, as it comes off the top of my head. I've not prepared them about the, for this ahead of time. But uh, wait, we're shocked. We have to discuss this. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I, I could say it while well during the with listener feedback. What are you thinking? <laughs> 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 so so you know send us your questions send us your feedback send us the thing you know interesting uh, comments or analysis so we'd love to hear them and uh in, and if we get enough of them we'll do a, a whole show of them uh so yeah you can find all our links to our personal social media and our uh, websites on our show notes on uh, tridio.com and in fact if i didn't say the email let me say it again doctor who at sqpn.com just to make sure i get that out there so uh, as as Jimmy wants me to say, we'll be back next week. We'll be discussing the second Doctor's regeneration story called The War Games. Did you have something you wanted to prepare people for on that, Jimmy? Um, um, it's no, long. not in particular. It is long. It's a 10-parter. Really, if you want to get a sense of it, um, if you just watch the first episode and maybe the last couple of episodes, you'll get the essential feel of it. Um it is also the first appearance of the Time Lords as a race. And when they get introduced, it is really dramatic and really frightening. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So uh, until then, uh, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining in uh, sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. My pleasure. Uh, Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, guests are reminded that Platform One forbids the use of weapons, teleportation, and religion. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.